Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash acast. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready. Today, of course, we're going to be talking about F1 testing. Why do the cars seem to handle like a Citroen Picasso? We'll talk about Magnussen being back in Formula One. We'll talk a little about the spirit of the regulations because side pods have gone the way of the sea shanty. So 2021. Mercedes are basically now a midfield team. We'll talk about that. And Ferrari have sewn up the title already. It's true. I read it on Twitter. We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. I'm joined for this testing review by Matt Dorumpitz. Good evening, Matt. And good evening to you from this new hour later side of the pond. Ah, you've changed time zones, have you? Hopefully it didn't affect your, your testing viewing. As much as I enjoyed seeing the cars on track, I have sort of sadistically enjoyed the return of wild speculation on social media and both sides just going at each other. This is the point in the season where I'm not completely fed up of it yet, and I'm sort of enjoying the speculation and the back and forth. Well, I think, well, first of all, I have to confess, I may not have watched every last second of testing because of a certain massive pretend race event yesterday that one of our panelists may or may not have organized. (laughs) Yes. But in my catching up and doing research for the show, I got to say, this is just going to be epic. Nobody really knows what's going to happen next weekend and way less so than we normally do. So it. I cannot wait for the season to get here. And I think we could be looking at like another, was it 2012, where we had seven different winners? Nobody knows what's going to happen. And I could not be more excited. Nobody knows. That's a bit insulting. We've got Kyle Edgy Power on the panel. Hello, Kyle. Hey, how's it going? You and I always have uh, some interesting engineering design chats. I think we share the same contempt for like engineering designers 
who who never seem to grasp the real world. Like your object, you know, it's got to go outside of this factory. You know that, don't you? Yeah. Or to get to it, you don't want to have to deconstruct the entire front of the car to change a bulb. <laughs> that, well, this is it. This is the thing. Engineers never think about design engineers their equipment failing. And they go, yeah, what, what will you do if it fails? <gasps> How dare you? Simply give me limitless funds to make it bulletproof. Yeah, it can make a, a lot of people's lives an absolute misery at time. I'm sure they don't do it on purpose. I don't want to ruin this, but one of my favorite stories in that vein is the vegetable press that consumers rapidly discovered you didn't need the $800 machine for. You could just squish it with your hands. <laughs> <laughs> There's things like that as well. And uh, Matt mentioned the event that occupied all of our Saturday and made us miss testing. It is, of course, our supercar race car driver, uh, Brad Philpott. How's it going, Brad? It's going well, Spanners. Yeah, my, my hands are a bit sore from yesterday's event, but um, but yeah, happy to be here. Uh, our partners were all super impressed that we spent 12 hours of our Saturday either playing, simming, broadcasting or commentating on pretend race cars. So thanks for that, Brad. Well, thank you for, for joining in. Thanks to all the map teams who, who took part. Let's get to talking about testing. And uh, I think the right segment for this is uh, probably the Big Dirty News. Big Dirty News. I can't actually remember where Big Dirty News came from. I think Matt might have once suggested that we that we have a, a, a small news column at the end. And I've gone, no, we're, everything's big and dirty. It's the big, dirty news. But the big, dirty news, I suppose, is testing. And from a driver point of view, Brad, I think what was interesting was you and the guys with a little bit of driving experience looked at the handling of those cars and went, oh, these are all pigs. Yeah, so aside from the bouncing, aside from this poor porpoising and, um, and bouncing around down the straights, the cars looked a real handful in the slow corners um, and some of them more than others, uh, in particular on the harder tyres. It, it looked like at a track like Monaco, they're going to barely keep up with the pace car, or the safety car. It was, it was like they just lost all ability to, to get around a corner and rotate the cars anytime the speed dropped off. So we can talk about the reasons for that and the rule changes that have made this happen because actually over a whole lap, they're not really far off the times, the lap times that we generally expect. It's just they're clearly making up that time in some areas and losing a lot of it in the slower, tighter areas. But weren't we expecting this? Is that Kyle? I, you probably got some insight on this. weren't we expecting this? Wasn't the whole point that they weren't just, be, you know, sticking to the ground and they took a lot of aero off? So, but well, I guess slower corners is mechanical grip. Yeah, you you say yeah. things. You help me. <laughs> the whole point's to so they can follow easier to take away the dependency of the above body um, downforce generating bodywork but um so they can follow closer but what has actually happened is it looks like it's changed the way you need to drive the cars massively so they look massively more understeer orientated now so quite a lot of the drivers are probably having to relearn how to drive the cars and as we saw during the testing i caught some of it not all of it but there were so many cars running running wide like in turn one in bahrain turn three which is going to be a big overtaking opportunity or turn four actually i believe it is loads of drivers just running wide and look, they look like a carbon fiber tub of frustration on four wheels, basically for the drivers. It looks like you need a lot more of a disciplined driving style. Um, and personally, as soon as I saw the onboards, I was like, "Ugh, I wouldn't want to drive that. I'd just be incredibly frustrated if I was a driver trying to drive that. That sounds like a, the start of like a beat poem or something. You know, I was I was in my carbon tube of frustration, <laughs> Matt. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, just to follow up on what Kyle was saying, I think it's important to remember that a lot of the tricks that made the cars work well in slow corners, the push rods on uprights, the hydraulic suspensions that got the front wings very close to the ground so that you got some ground, extra ground effect in slow corners, have all been taken away. And add to that, as you mentioned, with the regulation change, most teams are running those wings higher to get more air under the floor back to those Venturi tunnels. And that means that the downforce is also being made further back, which is going to make them less pointy just by nature. And add to that the the rule change, which on a normal year would have been a massive talking point, but it's kind of on, it's one of, one of the things that's taken a back seat this year because so much else has changed. The tires have had a huge change, much, much lower profile tires, which will make the cars better at changing direction at high speed and more predictable, but won't have the same mechanical grip at low speeds. So much less rubber to flex around and generate that grip in the tight corners. So another big change there that's probably contributing to this. Yeah. And with the larger tires and the lower sidewall is it also, or is most of the compliance has gone from the previous cars. A lot of the suspension travel was in the sidewall of the tires. So the cars are much worse over the bumps now. And let's not forget those wheels way more. So your unsprung mass has increased. And uh, as we will talk about later, the wheel covers are actually heavier than they were originally supposed to be. I don't know whether one of you guys just mentioned this as well in your comments, but because of the new way that the downforce is produced with the under underbody downforce, the cars have to be run in such a configuration to make that work and to, to try and stop some of this porpoising and bouncing on the straights that they're naturally then going to be too stiff to be ideal in the, in the tighter sections. And if you remember back to when we had the last major regulation change, which was 2017, and they went to the bigger tires, more, more downforce, a lot of the drivers after the first day of testing were very infused and excited and, and ranting about how good and fun the cars were to drive. I haven't seen it this time around. Every interview I've seen, I saw one of Gasly's ones earlier, and they asked me about the car, and they're all like, nah. Yeah, we're kind of doing okay. And all of the drivers seem, none, yeah. the cars do not look fun to drive anymore. But we don't really care as viewers. We don't care if the drivers are having fun driving the cars. As long as they deliver good racing, yeah. that's it. But all of the drivers seem a little bit nonplussed about the new cars. A little bit, a little bit miffed. And this is where I'll turn to, to Brad, I think. Um, it's worth pointing out and reminding people, Brad Philpott, you are, you're a racing driver. You are a, a class champion at the Nordschleifer, two-time class champion at what was then the VLN. You're a professional tyre tester now, and you have some experience testing single-seaters as well. So this is my question. In a single-seater, obviously the downforce and a lighter car, you, you're you're taking the corners at speeds that you couldn't dream of in a GT car. I now take away a bunch of that. What do you think the drivers are feeling? What's making it less fun? And and for you as well, is more downforce more fun as a driver? So what what they're feeling is, less positivity through the steering wheel when when they ask for something to happen through the wheel when the driver requests a certain amount of rotation from the vehicle they're not getting what they're asking for if they were getting too much that would be oversteer and and that's comes with its own problems but at least at least you're getting a, the, the equal yeah. to what you're asking for and maybe a bit more uh, you know people generally enjoy correcting oversteer and, and, you know, and there's, there's ways to deal with that. But when it's understeer, it feels hopeless. It feels like, well, the only, and, and the actuality is, the only thing I can do to fix this is go slower. Yeah. You can reduce steering lock. That's one way of curing understeer. But 
the corner isn't getting any less tight. So ultimately, at some point, you're going to have to turn the wheel to get around. Yeah. And if the car doesn't want to do what you're asking it to, you have to go slower. And that's just frustrating from the driver's seat. So you, when we do our sim racing stuff, Brad, you make us do, or you just made us do the Nordschleifer uh, in GT3 cars. And from I tend to like doing the single-seater ones because they're more zoomy. That's the technical term for it. From going from that on the same track to your GT3, it felt like I was doing taxi sim. Uh, so I was feeling a lot like the F1 drivers. Everything feels like it's in slow motion. You're having to brake for so long, so far away. But won't they just get over that and find the fastest way around the track? I think the first thing that will happen is the teams will improve the cars. So they'll mm. understand how to mitigate some of these issues first off. Uh, and the drivers will adapt. One thing, and we've talked about the negatives of, of yeah, the yeah. cars handling like this. In terms of positives, it means braking distances are, are going to increase. Brilliant. It, yeah. it means that there will be an opportunity for drivers to take some risk in a braking area and try and get through because the overall speeds will, will be a little bit lower as you're approaching the apex in the slower corners. You're going to see some clumsy understeery crashes. You're going to see people break their front wings and, and barge into, into side pods um, or, or into what used to be uh, where the side pods used to be if they're hitting a Mercedes. <laughs> and it's going to look a bit awkward and clumsy at low speeds, but it might provide some action because of that. Um, mm. Because you've kind of got a contrast. If you had loads of front grip in the low speed, the drivers would be confident to dive for the gap and go for an apex late. So, so that might have helped overtaking a slow speed. But with what we've got now, you don't have that, but you've got someone else in front of you potentially being a bit more cautious in the braking zone and tentative turning in. And maybe if you're just slightly less tentative, you can make a position. So I'm really interested to see how this works out, particularly in a corner like turn one at Bahrain. And, and just the last one on that, Brad, I guess now we'll see some corners which are just flat or have been flat for the last 10 years, maybe introduce a lift and a skill element again. Yeah, I mean, in the higher speed corners, I, I almost expect the opposite. But in some of the the lower, uh, oh. maybe approaching medium speed oh, corners, I see. Yes. yeah, okay, they yeah, might, yeah. they might have to be a little bit more circumspect if the if the underbody downforce isn't operating effectively at that point. Gotcha. Certainly, the you, hairpins yeah. definitely they're going to be off the throttle for longer. So I think you have two problems here, um, and they can be defined by one word: expectations. We're used to seeing onboards in slow speed corners that can look sort of almost mind bending. And now they, they look like, oh, I might as well be in my, uh, my family car yeah. driving yeah. around the track. And the drivers are used to these cars that had all this super tricked out stuff to go fast around there. And now they're being forced to go very slow. They will going to feel very defeated. But I think Brad has it right. What we've not seen is these cars racing each other. And we know from the drivers they can follow better. And that everything is going to be quite different. So I think you're right. I think the action in those slow speed corners and which team's engineers get that most right is going to be definitive in a lot of cases. Because I think the handling in the medium to high speed corners is probably going to be very similar. So this is where the difference is going to be. And that's great because it opens up the racing so much. And uh, my initial instinct when when looking at those cars was that it looked it looked like they had like loads of luggage in the back, and that they because there's more flat cars I think this season as well. And you you must have experienced this when you overload the boot, like if you've got like some massive weights in there or something, and then like you try and turn a corner and the feel, wheels feel super light. It kind of it looked like that's what they were experiencing, Kyle. Yeah, and it comes down. I mean, all forms of racing or any sort of car, it 
it generally in driving styles comes down to discipline. You have to be disciplined. You can't break too late. But this looks more so than ever with these new cars. The new drive, not the new drivers, but the drivers with these new cars are going to have to be more disciplined than before. The cars are no longer on rails. No, they no longer look glued. And this is probably going to generate a lot more mistakes and they're going to be faster. And we might, as we said on the previous show, we might see racing in different parts of the tracks that we didn't used to see before, because I think there's going to be a lot more snatched wheels, a lot more mistakes, but it's going to go to who's the most adaptable driver and smooth. I think a a journalist said that he could see physically that um, Verstappen had changed his driver. So he's no longer launching it in on the front end anymore. So it's going Mm. to play to adaptable drivers. And that's going to be fascinating. So, They'll they'll get on top of it in the end, but at the moment, and the first laps of testing in in Bahrain, it was it it was almost like some of the drivers were driving the cars like last year's, and it just wasn't working at all. So it's going to take them a while to get their heads around it. See, uh, like our, our driver here, Brad Philpot, you're a bit of a robot. When I said what's your driving style, you've said you've just gone. Um, I don't have one. I just try and like do whatever seems far if i see someone driving in a style that's faster i'll just do it faster and, and i'm sure max verstappen is able to do that but when i saw all the understeer my first instinct was that's, that's that might suit perez um, but you know drivers like like verstappen like raikkonen for example have reputations of really wanting everything on the nose and and i think like vettel really likes like a really planted rear end as well the guys who, who don't like that understeer maybe that it might affect them i'm not wishing out loud no, you're right. There will definitely be drivers who have more of a preference for a balance in one direction yeah. or another. And I mean, we're talking pretty small margins, but there will be a spectrum among the Formula One drivers, kind of based on probably what they grew up driving. And uh, you know, they, they will have just gotten used to a particular style in the categories they were in, and whatever style worked best for them, and they've just developed their own, you know, nuanced style. And some people will just cope with a lack of front grip better than others the best drivers will adapt so you know cars vary over a weekend let alone over various seasons so it's not like whatever car you're driving if you're in the say you're in the mercedes it always has an oversteery balance or whatever these are things that you fine tune with the setup but if some drivers just are that little bit better at Mm. working out how to deal with the balance that these cars have that's going to be an advantage certainly to begin with but um I, i can't see them being as enjoyable so, to drive as, as Kyle alluded to earlier. So really, really interesting. You're watching watching this on, on on TV. I like it being broadcast. I like the opportunity to to basically hear from pundits and hear interviews and, and see the cars on track. It's very exciting. Uh, but one thing that we probably have to remember from everyone speculating is that nobody is going out there to set lap times. And that's a common thing we talk about. Don't talk about the lap times. Don't look at the chart to see who's ahead. We, we don't know who's running with full, full fuel. You know, there's seconds difference there. We don't know who's running with tires. We don't know who's running with a setup even for that track. And I was uh, I was chatting to Summers earlier because I was trying to get a handle on the porpoising and why Mercedes, which we'll, we'll go into probably next, are struggling more than the other cars on porpoising. I had a theory, and I think it turned out to be right. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, it could turn out to be wrong, and Summers could have just told me, but you don't know. Uh, but uh, Summers was talking about the fact that they have to test a season's worth of setups here at Bahrain. So w- one time when you look at a car and go, well, that's not turning in, that could be them ten- testing their Monza setup, Matt. That could be them, you know, testing their Monaco setup. So like, you really can't look too deeply into, ah, 
you can look at the characteristics of the car, but you can't go, oh, Mercedes is, is doing rubbish compared to, you know, turns in less or more than the Red Bull because you don't know what they're, they're actually testing for. Yeah, no, that would be entirely correct. And so much of testing is, you know, we, we, we want you to drive at 280 kilometers down the straight. And then everyone's like, why do they look so slow down the straights? Well, because the aerodynamics engineers needed them to do that. Yeah. You know, so, so there's, you, since you don't know the aims of the testing, you can only make sort of very broad assessments. You can sort of look at, for example, well, go ahead. No, no, no. I was, no, please, please. I was just signaling to Kyle that I was going to come to him next. That was all. Oh, sorry. I misinterpreted. So you could look at, say, how a Mercedes is driving and you could say, well, it looks like they're still bouncing a lot more than their rivals. And that will probably be mm. a problem for them if they don't solve it. That's reasonable, but you can't look at lap times and, and conclude too much about them. You know, how many laps, yeah. maybe a little bit more, but, yeah. but it, it's all, it's all a guessing game right now. Right. Well, who, um, who shall I go to? Who shall I go to next? Oh, I'm just doing everything on the fly because I'm a maverick. Kyle, uh, let's talk about this, this bouncing and this porpoising because I, I messaged Summers and I, I said, I bet this comes down to this classic, you know, engineering problem of performance versus reliability, performance versus there's always a compromise to be made. And I thought it's probably more useful just if you think you're going to solve the porpoising at some point, you may as well just test through the problem and then and then and then just carry on. But I, I thought to Summers said the fact that the porpoising is caused by this ground effect, does it mean that Mercedes have like the most ground effect because they're having the most bouncy bounce and i guess whatever causes the ground effect they could just they could have slightly less than that if they need to uh yeah it could well be um and mercedes were quite really quite slow in a straight line for them as well so obviously the faster you go the worse it is but um i think hamilton said in his in his interviews and you can believe it or not that he said we might not be winning um straight away but we think we've got huge potential for the future so mercedes with their sort of radical concept might have an absolute monster but with these cars and the porpoising it's basically how low they dare run them and the more the lower is better basically so the lower they can go the more downforce they're going to get but it's causing them the bouncing so they know they have the potential there they just need to work out how to unlock it so i think there was some truth in what hamilton was saying there they may still rock up and and win but they yeah, I think that's a sound theory. They might be producing yeah. more downforce and suffering from it worse. Okay, so earlier in the day, uh, I said to our patron live chat, and they're here, by the way, patron live chat. Hello, everyone. Um, they chat along live if you want to support us, patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex, and uh, go and check out the, the benefits of being a patron. Mostly it's to support an independent creator, uh, for which we, we really appreciate any support we can get. But I asked them all for their hot takes, and it had to be all caps, their hot takes and uh, Weitzer van Bruggen came in with the first hot take, Matt, and he said, most teams, and it's all in capitals, this, so it's a really hot take. Most teams really drop the ball on their simulators, not simulating ground effect well enough at all because of the porpoising. But after, I've just got this sneaky feeling that the engineers are going, yeah, we, we understand the porpoising issue, but, you know, it's not affecting the car too much. We're still doing laps. The only thing that's being affected is the drivers. So if you could just keep letting them hammer their teeth out, uh, we really need to do our, our checks once they get to the corner. So it's so a tough luck. Yeah, and I think this opens the door for somebody to maybe do some, if you maybe a team like Haas, and you might be desperate for some sponsors. It's going to be um, a key of balance of how low do they dare run for the race? Obviously, the more bouncing and porpoising, 
the worst of reliability maybe but someone like a Haas if they've got some qual if they've got some sponsors there on a Saturday maybe and want to maybe try and sneak into Q3 could run it lower could torture their drivers for qualifying <laughs> to stick it into Q3 and have a trailblazing qualifying event knowing that they're probably not going to finish the race but just to grab some headlines there is a lot of more potential for that this year in Spanish you, you talk about the simulation potentially yeah, yeah. not have been being good enough over the winter in a simulator you wouldn't necessarily feel that bouncing yeah. in the same way that you feel it in real life so it, even if they were simulating that and i don't know whether it did show up in in the driver and loop simulation but if it did you probably would just carry on in all the simulator stuff that we do the car is way more comfortable than it is in real life i can guarantee you so um all the curves <laughs> you were using um yesterday what? in our race you would feel them a lot more if you were really in the car. Are you, so are you it, telling me it could have been overlooked in that way? Are you did telling me I didn't get the full Nordsch life experience from my shed. Like, unbelievable! Are you really telling me that, uh, Brad? As a test driver, you uh, you must have had those situations where you are just treated essentially like ballast by engineers. Often, often mm. we do a lot of uh, regulation tests for the tires that we test, so have to pass various uh, legal tests, and and you have to weigh the vehicles to certain amounts. And I'm quite often told to just sit in the seat to be ballast and i've had the same in race cars too i don't know who said it but it was one of the engineers said um they they knew the porpoising was going to be a problem but they couldn't fully test it in the wind tunnel because they would damage the wind tunnel or the rolling road underneath they couldn't put the loads on they wanted so they expected it to be bad but i don't think anybody expected it to be quite as extreme as it is all right matt so what i'm paying the driver we're in two in two cases, they're paying the driver 50 million euros or pounds for this season. <laughs> so, oh, I'm bouncing up and down a bit in the car. 50 million euros. Unlucky. Deal with it. Broken drivers can heal. The problem really is the cars here, if I'm being honest. And the porpoising issue is complex. It's not, I know it was made out to be, and possibly I participated in this, and you have my apologies if I did, mainly an aero issue. But it's more complicated than that. It's a suspension issue. And it's also, Brad, you'll be happy to hear, a tire issue as well. And what's happening is you have a case where the weights of the wheels didn't match what the teams were given. You have a case where the tire models, because they were based with the old suspension, entirely didn't give the teams any real heads up. We'd have this issue. And now you have this issue. And as you say, it's a reliability speed compromise. The more times you hit the pavement with your car, the more likely you are to break it. And we don't have a full solution from any team yet. So every weekend, it's going to come down to that bet. How many times can I hit it before it goes kaboom? And Matt, I've got a question because I haven't noticed this. I don't know whether you've spotted it. Is the porpoising an issue at all in any of the important corners, or is this purely just it's on the straights, end yeah. of the straights? Yeah, because so so it's essentially, on the if the driver feeling sick and, and potentially maybe getting injured from re- repetitive bouncing again, not important. Cars, but go ahead, and the car's <laughs> not getting broken. If that wasn't an issue, it's not actually necessarily affecting performance too much. Although I did I did think I noticed some early lockups that could have been due to the car not having a stable platform under braking i mean it's shaking them around a lot as they as they nail the brakes initially but so they could effectively if they just you know hoped that they weren't going to break the car and the driver could put up with it just go with it and and run it as fast as they could Mm. well they can't except for as it turns out 
this bouncing also affects the length you can run the tires. So the more oh. bouncing you have, the less tire life you have. And as I've discovered from uh, my own conversations with Summers, which were mostly golf-centered, I swear, um, that, in fact, Pirelli has already upped the pressures. We're north of, of uh, 20 PSI, from what I hear, at least at Bahrain, and that the higher pressures in the tire are exacerbating the bouncing because every time you have a compression, it then sends more energy back into the heave spring. And the real issue here, and this is a problem we've had before with the Michelins, when we had the tuned mass dampers, it was solved. We've had inerters, we've had hydraulics. Formula One has been solving this problem a long time, but they've mm. taken the toys away right now. And so the higher tire pressures are going to even make it worse for teams that are struggling with it. Uh, Kyle, this is easy. Come on, man. Is that we need a seat that bounces the exact opposite way to how the car's going? I can't believe no one we else. Need one is... of those old-fashioned bike seats <laughs> with the springs underneath the driver's seats to help them out. Exactly. Um, yeah. Um, but but yeah, the the tricks that they could do to solve it. We've seen a lot of people in the live stream chat say this, and yeah, you could like active suspension would obviously solve it. You know, you could allow them allow a bit of frick and this dynamic suspension they. They used to have, but these aren't things you can allow the teams to do mid-season. Yeah, really, this isn't a mid-season easy, quick fix to allow the teams to quickly do that. So it's going to have to be some sort of maybe to try to counteract it with an aerodynamic fix. Or you, you, as Matt said, we've had all the they've had all the toys taken away, and the toys would have been able to cure this and stop it, but they've taken them away this year, and it seems like the well, not even this year, they've taken away the last, over the last couple mm. of years. And it seems like the worst time to have the toys taken away. So next year we'll probably see a definitive fix. But for, for now, the time it's being, compromise, isn't it? But now, yeah. yes, it they they might be able to do some sort of mid-season bodge, but it might be stuck with us for most of the year. One thing that they could potentially do, which it looks like maybe Red Bull have begun to do, is go back towards slightly more rake. Um, I don't know if you saw the photos or the video of of the Red Bull going through some of the corners in the final day of testing, but it looked like there was some significant rake on that Red Bull, which we didn't think we'd see this year. So, Yeah, interesting. Well, let's, um, I, I guess let's get down to the teams a little bit, start focusing on the teams, because there's a race next Sunday, guys. A race next, uh, next Sunday. That's in seven days. Uh, a lot of the talking is going to be dispelled and we will see who is performing well. And this is where all the arguments have been, <laughs> have been happening online. I have enjoyed it. I've... I, I have to say, every single year since 2015, I'm sure it's the same people have said, Ferrari have got it nailed on this year. For Ferrari, this is their year. And, and Mercedes, they don't look good at all. They look all at sea. Eight years now of testing we've had of people saying that same thing. I, I just want to say to those people, at some point you're going to be right because eventually, you know, you roll the dice enough. Don't you come at me on the first race if Ferrari win and go, See, I told you because you've been telling me for eight years. So that aside, we know that Ferrari do test well, and it could be like a different philosophy. I I, I look at the engineering approach of Mercedes since the hybrid era, and and I, you you could imagine them just focusing on one specific thing at a time and and not looking at the lap times. But Lewis Hamilton's comment has started making people think that this might really be Mercedes in trouble. So he said, at the moment, I don't think we'll be competing for wins. He said, at the moment, I don't think we'll be competing for wins. This is on the F1 uh, website, by the way. Obviously, next week, we'll get a much better idea and a better showing of our pace. And there you go. There's your first clue. But I think other people will surprise 
Maybe, he said. People keep talking about us talking ourselves down, but it's a little bit different this year. We're not the quickest at the moment. I think Ferrari looked to be the quickest. Oh, come on. Even Hamilton's joining in this year. Uh, perhaps then Red Bull, then maybe us or McLaren. I don't know, but we're not currently at the, to- at the top. But the Mercedes engineers, when they've chatted, they seem to be talking about unlocking some potential, but they've not managed to quite quite show it yet. So what, what do we make of that, Kyle? What do we make of the, the Hamilton negativity talking it down? Is he, is he just... I mean, he doesn't know what the other teams are up to. So maybe there's an engineering meeting and they keep talking about all the challenges and he's looking at that and going, well, we've got 10 challenges there. This can't be good. Well, I'm pretty sure he knows more about the other teams than we do. Like yeah, they, true. they like even though they say, "Oh no, we're just concentrating on ourselves." Absolute nonsense. They they are watching <laughs> the other teams like a hawk. They know what's going on, but I do think there is some some truth to this. Just by just by from the, from the testing I watched, the Mercedes did not look nice. It was having lurid rear end snaps. It was understeering like crazy and bouncing. When you just watched like not even thinking about the lap times, if you watch the Mercedes going round and then watch the Ferrari or or another car like that, um, or even the Alpine, it the Mercedes looked looked horrendous. It didn't look good to drive at all. So yes, they're slow on the straights. They've probably got the engine turned right down. Yeah. Yes, they've probably got lots of potential to unlock. And of course, they're going to be there or thereabouts in the fight. But are they going to be out front like they are before? I don't. I think don't so. think I they're going to be down with McLaren though. <laughs> No, but yeah. I think there's quite a lot of truth in what you're saying. I think at the moment, uh, this was the same last year. I think back to last year, they were struggling mm. in the test, you know, and then they turned up and managed to somehow pull it out the bag. So, Matt, I just want to reiterate that, again, like we we don't know what they were testing. When it looked a handful, they could have been testing for for Monza with high fuel and um, and the, and uh, you know a safety car run with the engine turned down. So just to just to keep all that in mind. Yes. Well, normally I'd suggest uh, taking a sawzall to your floor on the penultimate day of testing is not necessarily a sign of hope for uh, Mercedes. Uh, uh, what, uh, hang on. Hang on. You mentioned the floor. What, what are you saying about the floor? Uh, taking a sawzall to it. Mercedes took a What's saw a, to their floor and sawzall? hacked off bits of it. Oh, okay. So someone did say to me earlier, hang on, I'll just read it directly. He says, I don't believe that the floor the Mercedes plan to race, I don't believe we've seen it yet as their solution looked unfinished. So he thinks there's a complete new floor coming for Bahrain. Yes, well, um, and if you look at it carefully, um, compare it to, say, the McLaren floor, which it sort of resembles, or the Ferrari floor, you can see that there are areas of it that are not well-developed, the whole middle bit, which Ferrari has separated from the end bit where their stay is connected. So, but the fact that Mercedes is taking a saw to specific aspects of the floor, the point I was getting to, suggests that their aerodynamic engineers might be on the track of reducing the porpoising for the team. And if indeed they have a solution and understand the problem well enough, we could see a much different Mercedes on Friday than we saw during the test. But that is an if, it's not a guarantee. Yeah, and this is the thing. We think if the race happened like now, they probably would be, it probably would be true. Yeah. They probably maybe would be behind Ferrari and Red Bull. But again, as I said, last year they were struggling and they turned up and managed to sort it out is how quickly they can sort it out. And Hamilton alluded to it in his comments of, yeah, not yet. Like, yeah. and I 
I believe they could be an absolute monster and they've got the huge potential for it, but it's how quickly. If this new floor does work, Ooh. then yeah, they'll be right up there. But there there was a slim chance that we might be one or two races with them maybe down like fighting oh, yeah, to get yeah, onto yeah, the podium yeah. and then we see the the, the Death Star as they were called before, you know, <laughs> the Dark Lords come out and then for, just destroy everyone. Ferrari are the Death Star. Don't don't get me triggered. Don't start me on that. Um, another hot take from our Patreon Slack group uh, from Rowan. Mercedes will take half the season to catch up and then torture us all with a last race showdown against Ferrari for the title. No, 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 please. No, no, not another last race showdown. I'm not I'm not ready. I need the driver's title sorted by Mexico. I can I, I don't think I can cope again. The constructors championship. Fine. Take that down. Take all that all the way down to the wire. But win or lose, whoever wins. Let's, let's just have it by Mexico this year. I, I will just quickly say I watched Drive to Survive and uh, I wanted, I was very curious to see what the narrative would be of Abu Dhabi because that does influence a lot of new fans who come into the sport and then that affects the conversations you're going to have to have on Twitter. And I was very worried actually that it was going to be one way or the other and, and, and paint a picture like, like so often documentaries do. You know, most documentaries are, are motivated. But I have to say, box to box films. They did. I think they did a really good job. They didn't dwell on it. They showed what happened. They had Will Buxton say what was supposed to happen and what the rules were. Then they had Jack Nichols on on the pretend commentary going, "Well, that's not right." And and then they just played out and they showed the the juxtaposition of the two sides. And and so it it wasn't horrible to to watch it from a narrative point of view. It was horrible to relive it. But we don't need to. We don't need to go into that. Uh, but there we go, Matt. What's your what's your conclusion? Uh, oh, Alex pointed out something to us on a Reddit post where someone posted something that said Mercedes are like that nerdy kid who's freaking out before an exam that they're going to fail. But actually, they're underestimating the fact that no one else has studied as hard as they have. Um, and they're probably going to be fine like they always are. Well, again, we can only look at what we have to look at. And what is interesting to me is if you look at the Red Bull, which uh, a lot of people are now saying is the fastest car. And it may be the fastest. And the question I would ask is, but is it the fastest car over a race distance or will it break if they run it like that? Because that's mm-hmm. kind of what I'd like to know. Um, and the Ferrari, uh, but the, the Red Bull and the Mercedes, both designs look very revolutionary in that it seems just by visual inspection, there is a lot for the engineers to unlock across the course of a season. Yeah, Ferrari, on the other hand, showed up with a car that worked. It worked across all the tests. It worked in every environment they put it in. They have clearly a very good understanding of the car. And in this, it reminds me of the McLaren of the last two years, a neutral car that could show up, be quickly set up, do well in almost any environment. But I'm not as convinced, and I'm not stealing this from Summers at all, I swear. I'm not entirely (laughs) convinced that their design as it is now has the same development potential across the whole season. So we've already, we're already seeing different approaches to winning a championship here. Yeah. Well, well, (laughs) I said to you earlier, Ferrari are winning the championship, Matt. More patron hot takes. Camilla says the red cars will ace it. That's her hot take all in capitals. Because I said, Dave Hart, Leclerc will be world champion. Um, Hashtag Chuck Fossey. I think Carl, that brings us uh, that brings us neatly to Ferrari, doesn't it? The, 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 could the hype be real? What, what do you think? Stake your professional opinion on it right now. Well, it 
kind of could. And going off of what Matt said with, um, yeah, the Ferrari looks to be, well, not conservative, um, but, but yeah, they might run out of scope. So Ferrari may have been going to be steady to win this championship, whereas Red Bull and Mercedes may have gone revolutionary to try and win the era of these regulations. So they've gone a complete different way. So, um, yeah, Ferrari may be able to be really good this season, but then run out of steam and have to change the concept. Whereas Mercedes and Red Bull seem to have just completely gone off the wall with with their <laughs> concepts, which is great to see. It's good to see variation. So with the fact that we've got these wildly different concepts, how much um, stock do we put in the the FIA's um, uh, take that yeah, yeah. We're, we're going to potentially pause and allow others to... Um, close up if there's one concept which which works better than another or or give other teams an opportunity i know we're going to have this kind of open pit lane show and tell yeah, session. yeah. um but aside from that it's kind of it, it was mentioned by ross braun i think in in the testing coverage yeah. that if a particular concept was voted by a majority of teams or was it eight out of the ten teams that um the wording of the rules could be changed so even if the team has done a, a good job and it's a legal car it's all deemed to be completely legal if enough teams decide that they want the rules changed to make that thing illegal, that can be done. So how much do we think that's actually going to happen? Or is that just, is that just words? Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Here's the question. You can have... It where as soon as somebody does something like a double diffuser like Braun did, you go, no, stop it, get out, erase it. Your money's wasted or we'll refund your money for that or whatever. But that would kill innovation and that would destroy F1. What we seem to have seen in recent years is with things like Frick and with the, what was the up and down steering wheel called? Daz. Daz. With Daz and Frick, they said, oh, you got us, but you can't do it next season. That seemed to be the, the approach and that's kind of okay. What I strongly believe, Matt, that we cannot have ever again is the Mercedes hybrid era early domination where they got that engine advantage baked in and then they kept it 
for a long, long time. So yes, I do not want to stifle innovation, but we, we can't have another 2014, 2015, 2016 period again. It was a long period of basically resigning F1 to no competition at all, except for Rosberg and whatever who did okay. Yeah, just the inter-team, the, yeah, the yeah, intra-team, yeah. not inter-team. And, and I think really, if I understood what Braun was saying correctly, is that time interval of a whole season is simply going to be shrunk. So if you show up with something and the teams vote you off the island, uh, it's not struck at the well, next they're race. They're going to vote to get rid of it every time, aren't they? <laughs> Unless it's theirs. Well, no. If I can copy it and use it, I won't vote to get rid of it. If I if it doesn't work yeah. with my design and I or it's too expensive to copy, then I will vote to get rid of it. And in that sense, it's a bit self-policing. And I wasn't trying to get off the topic of Ferrari. I was what I kind of meant by that question was if Ferrari find that they're conservative, it's so, so funny calling it that because it's obviously quite a radical. Yeah, scoopy bathtub, shape. yeah. But uh, if that is the wrong way to go, ultimately, and, and Red Bull or Mercedes or anyone else seem to be pulling ahead with a vastly different concept, I mean, is it even possible? It doesn't matter if that concept is outlawed. I don't know whether you can even outlaw an entire concept. It's, it's kind of specific things you'd need to point at, but is it even possible to just redesign your car to fit that or force that other team to redesign their car it, it might be if you said say to mercedes okay you you can't run your side pod concept for the next race well maybe the the choice is they just can't turn up for the next race because you can't necessarily just change it that quickly so i, I don't quite know how that's going to work but I, I was trying to keep it on the ferrari topic because yeah um because they are one of the teams with a very wildly different concept and and uh, matthew wrigley in our live chat makes the great point carl that the eight out of ten rule might might be a bit meaningless because red bull have two votes ferrari have three and mercedes have four and alpine that was exactly the point i was going to make (laughs) i was going to say this this would turn into a political game and brad is exactly right you can't you can't just then say mid-season oh we're we're going to outlaw your concept because we'll have to completely redesign the car they can't just go and whack other other side and, pods and on why it. would you just, bother if it was just going to get stifled every time um yeah so and you're right it will just stifle just stifle um i've forgotten the word but ingenuity and um, innovation yeah, yeah, sure. and creativity and stuff it would just actually stifle that so it was disappointing to hear that from ross Bourne, and we hope we've misinterpreted it and not really understood it but with them ham-fistedly forcing through the sprint races and stuff like mm, that i really wouldn't know. be surprised if they tried to do some meddling mid-season which which will be a shame but let's hope it's not too uh intrusive well i i'm going to disagree i think that what braun was meaning by what he said my understanding of it was that the cycle whereby mercedes shows up after the season begins and and this is where i want to start i don't think he's talking about you're going to show up to the first race with the car you tested and then the teams are going to vote sorry red bull you can't have that shape side pot anymore that's not what we're talking about we're talking about suddenly showing up with DAS at the what third or fourth race or whatever it is, and then getting to have that advantage for a whole season. If it gets taken away, they're not going to say you have to have it off by the next race. They're going to say you have to have it off in three races times. And we've seen that um, it played out uh, from the flexi wings. Red Bull had to change their design and they got what, like four races to change it. I think we're just accelerating the cycle and reducing the advantage clever engineering gives you here 
Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and also with all of these designs, they have to surely send the CAD files and stuff to the FIA for approval first to get it checked. So you're saying they might just say, yeah, when we won't be deeming that legal. Yeah. Like, sorry, yeah, just don't even bother because yeah. no, we're not letting you. So they're going to be a bit more strict. So that makes a lot more sense. Matt, I, I, I'm desperate to get back to Ferrari. What kind of testing do you feel they had? I think they had, I think they absolutely aced their testing. They showed up, the car worked. They had minimal trouble with the bouncing. They understand the concept. They know how to set it up. And until Red Bull showed up with their new toys, they were the fastest. And they're not a team that does glory runs on fumes, unlike um, Alfa Romeo and Botas, which I'm now convinced is what happened with that C3 run. But anyway, that's another story. What I want to say about Ferrari that's interesting, and this applies to all the teams to a certain extent, and it's part of why the porpoising is causing all the breaking. There is a lot of room in how the teams have repackaged all their cooling under the skin for the side pods to change shape. That hasn't always been the case. And Ferrari in particular has an almost modular design. For example, the crash structure isn't the nose of the car. It's inside the nose. They can literally take the entire nose and change it and not have to re-homologate. They don't have to pass a crash test to put a new nose on. And t- again, you know, talking with Summers and talking, looking at what's been said online, it seems like Ferrari are in a position where they could say, oh, the Red Bull side pods work better? We'll just unbolt ours and bolt on the Red Bull, Red Bull side pods, and their car will be able to do that. So in an interesting way, they've sort of left themselves in a place where if it fits with their basic philosophy for the year they can chase design a lot more easily than maybe some of the more revolutionary teams that's true but um i'll skip to carl here but obviously supportability engineering was my my old job and whilst modular design is good if you want to like repair your aircon system and where and you know or like a, even a forward weapon system with an f1 car any modular design is always going to come with a with a compromise, but it, it is interesting to have that adaptability and flexibility throughout season. Yeah, I think that's fascinating, and it's very very clever. But as we see in normal sort of domestic sort of uh, life with modular things, it's never fully optimized. No. It's always a slight slight compromise. So that's going to be that's going to be interesting if Ferrari can do that. But also, it's it's not just like the the side pods need to work with the floor and the general whole concept, so they can't just completely change their their side pod concept to copy red bulls because their floor isn't going to be the same and they're not going to there's only certain there's a budget cap there's only a certain amount you can do so they're probably going to have two or three goes it's a very interesting way to go about it but they probably can't just completely radically change their concept because they have scope to there's cost to factor in as well and then yes yeah, so they may have slightly compromised themselves to give them a bit more wiggle room to try and optimize their concept for the following years maybe yeah but yeah my only concern with that matt is that that is a philosophy to solidify your third place not to to go for a championship does that does that do you follow what i'm sort of i'm driving at i get it um i i think it's a i think it's not quite there because of the improvement in the powertrain but I think they wanted to have as neutral a design as possible because maybe they weren't 100%. Like they said, I think this is the best design for us. And if you look at testing, it's clearly a very good and reliable design. Mm. They understand yeah. it. They can set it up. These are what you need early season. Okay. But then they said, well, but what if we're not right? 
how much scope can we give ourselves to 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 change things more easily than maybe we would normally think normally we'd be like this is our design we're done but it's everything is so new can we can we build a little wiggle room in in case it turns out we were kind of on the wrong track okay so look predictions wild speculation right there is a difference between you know an informed opinion and what we're about to do now which is just have a little bit of a guess of the the running order and we'll go a little bit more into detail of of how we think red bull have have come out of the gate but the pattern we've seen over the last few seasons will probably still hold hold still which is that uh mercedes come will come out strongish test and adjust and get into their stride and develop well. The Probably the biggest delta between start of the season performance and mid-season is usually Red Bull. But in previous seasons to last season, they've started too far back to then make it up. Uh, whereas Ferrari and McLaren have been relatively static, all given that they might have been waiting for this regulation change. But I, I cannot see that changing. So if I had to guess and put my flag in the ground... I'm going to say strong early results for for the top three actually being relatively even. That's what I'm going to go for. Relatively even in Bahrain with Red Bull and Mercedes then stretching their legs over the, the next few seasons. And, and Brad, I know you've got a reputation online as a Red Bull hater. Yeah, you're hot takes. You hate Red Bull. You you think Corner should just get in his corner. He's toxic and stuff. I can't recreate your Twitter account, Brad. Uh, but where, where, do you, where do you think the order is? at the start of the season uh, you're right I, I don't like red bull actually i'm just gonna nail my color to the mask i've it. been accused of uh, <laughs> it's okay to have a, a bias as long as you state it up front so i'm, yeah, I'm gonna say, say this i i have a, a yeah and it actually wasn't you that said it this time I've been oh, okay. other places. but um i i have a, a bias against red bull Fair enough. based on things which actually happen in in the real world and but i think that they're going to be fastest i think that okay. stappen's gonna be on pole uh Bahrain, and i I think they're going to be they're going to start stronger than they traditionally do. Obviously, last year they started really strong, but yeah. in in previous years to that, my main hot take is that Haas are, are quicker than a lot quicker than they have been for a long time. And I think even if the lap that Schumacher did um, yesterday was a glory run, it was a glory run on not the quickest tire. It wasn't a C five, it was a C four, and he was ahead of everyone except Verstappen. So even if that's a glory run, it's still a very good time considering where Haas normally are. So okay. I, my hot take is that I'm not saying they're going to go win, but I think we're <laughs> going to see a Haas in the points. Um, so uh, I mean, I can pre- I'll give my predictions for the others. I think Mercedes are going to be struggling, as we've said. And by struggling, I mean not clearly out front. Yeah. And I think we might well have a similar situation to last year where they just about pull back enough performance between the test and the first race that... They can compete with Red Bull. They kind of breathe a sigh of relief, but no, they've still got a lot more work to do as the season goes on. All right. I just I want to I feel like I need to just counter that slightly with that. I think Haas will still be definitely the worst team by a long way. Like if that would be a miracle, that would be a miracle if they you through everything bonkers. they've been on, they nope. managed to pull themselves off the top. I think they're going to be a long way behind. I, Brad, nope. Not even close. J- just to, well, the reason that I think this is, uh, and I don't know whether these times were set at exactly the same time of day or anything, but Nicholas Latifi's fastest time of the test this uh, this week was a one minute thirty five point six, set on a C three tire, um, and Schumacher's for the Haas was a one minute thirty two point two, albeit set on one 
mm. um, one yeah. click softer tire. C4. Yeah, that's not four but, seconds. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's three three and a half ish seconds faster. That's that's a considerable chunk. So, and I know, I know we can't compare fuel loads and that kind of thing, but yeah. you'd have to assume that at some point over the three days, both of those teams have done some comparative running, and I just think that that gap is is too big to just be Haas taking all the fuel out and going for it. Oh, awesome. This is awesome. I, l- I love that you're saying this because I'm going to nail my master the colours. You can come back at me for this. This is fine. Uh, no, Haas will still be a, a solid 10th after the first like three, four races or whatever. Like they will just, I don't think they, I don't think they'll have moved the needle. Despite... They've got Magnussen in the car. <laughs> no way that happened. No, that, that, that that's of course, Kevin Magnussen back in F1. And on, on that point, the fact that they've got Magnussen in the seat and not taken a pay driver suggests yeah. to me that they're not just looking for cash at all costs and, and that they wouldn't necessarily just be going to do a glory run to try and find a sponsor because if they were that desperate for the money, they would have just taken a pay driver instead of paying someone. So that, that's another reason that I'm slightly more confident in my assertion than I would normally be. Uh, Kyle? Yeah, I think that's a very good point by Brad there. Very good point because... um. As as um, Matthew Carter said, they probably had the option of having Giovinazzi and a and some cheap engine deals to help them out, and they've opted yeah. against it. So they must have some underlying confidence. And with K K Mag coming back in, it, we're finally going to get to see Mick Schumacher quantified, really, and that's going yeah. to be fascinating to see. And I would love to see that fighting in the points. I'm, I think, I think they'll need a freak race to get the points. But I don't think they'll quite quite be there. Okay, I'm getting um, some pushback in the live chat here that uh, EJ saying 2018 spanners and 2019 Haas was a pig, um, but Haas have K Mag says uh, says Pete and Lukas says uh, Haas uh, had a reasonable scoring midfield team even in 2019, not that long ago, not that long ago. 2019 was the before times, before the at home times. Come on, come on, man. 2019, but the last two seasons. You're right. They, they, you know, they they haven't been going well. And you're right about the the driver pairings, Carl. I've not been a fan of the driver pairing. Putting two rookies in, they had Kevin Magnussen and Roman Grosjean. Yeah, maybe they're not the two drivers that are going to go down in history. And maybe Grosjean made too many mistakes. But these, they were two legit, proper, proper Grand Prix drivers. Good Grand Prix drivers, and they went from Mazepin, who has proved himself to not be one of those things and Schumacher a rookie completely unknown uh, Kyle then Matt yeah and bearing in mind their car last year looked horrendous to drive they didn't develop it and with the floor regulations they they pretty much cut the back of the floor off and where they had to and the car looked really tricky so they not only went for two rookies they went for two rookies with with a horrendous car and a really difficult car to drive so and as we saw Matt Mazepin was off more often than he was on the track and he was really, really struggling. Schumacher binned it quite a few times. He did, yeah. And it looked horrendous. So, um, yeah, they must have some sort of confidence in them. And I would love nothing more to see them launch off the back of the grid. But if that happens, who's going to be on the back of the grid? I'd hate it to be Williams. Spoiler. It looks like Williams maybe are going back down. Spoiler, it'll still be Haas. Matt? It will absolutely not be Haas. And I'll tell you why you were wrong. First of all... (laughs) In in excruciating detail. In okay. fact, I will outline everything you oh have overlooked God. in your knee jerk reaction. Just remember, we can't go over an hour, so be quick. No, I, I won't. I won't be that long. But first of all, it's important to remember that the car that has been driven by Haas the last two years, twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one, essentially had no development to it. 
And the reason Grosjean and Magnussen left is because Haas knew very well they were going to do nothing in the season. So why pay the drivers? Get some people in who would pay the team to develop this year's car. And I will remind you, they now own a parcel of ex-Ferrari, recent ex-Ferrari and other engineers that they have paid for that are now located in or near Maranello. Uh, okay, well, at least those Ferrari guys won't need a new key card. They can just use the one from Haas' exactly. first season. Yeah, I'm not saying that they're going to pass details to each other, but it's not unlikely that they all dine in the same restaurants and hang out in the same bars after work. And things might be said. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? But, um, but essentially, they have saved two years' worth of money, put it into developing this year's car. They have Magnussen back in the seat. Yeah. And they got Schumacher, who is a decent driver. And I just see points for them and definitely not last. Okay. I'm going to go to Brad first. And then I know Kyle's got skin in the game. Me and him have been arguing about this. I'm not going to Kyle first. I think uh, once he gets used to the car again, I think I I just feel very confident that Kevin Magnussen is going to show his class against a, a relatively still new driver, Mick Schumacher. I think Schumacher is better than we thought at first. And I think Schumacher will hold his own. Cool. I agree with Brad. Uh, no, so- wait, sorry. We've got to put this in context that you are like the biggest Schumacher fanboy. No, well, Michael Schumacher, not necessarily. Yeah, me. no, I yeah, do, no. And you, I, you think, you think that he'll had it coming. That's what you said to me. That's what you said no, to me. Well, you said I've 94. Said of you said he'll, sort. he'll had it coming and Schumacher, nope. it was a legitimate move. You said that's, that's libel. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm not having that. No, I never said anything <laughs> of the sort. Um, um, obviously, I want Mick to do well. He seemed, but but generally, I followed you know, him through F2. He was good in F2, and he just seems like a nice guy. I like the nice guy. Yes, you're right. Very of nice the sport. Guy, yeah. Yeah. Um, and of course, I wanted to do well. Seeing MSC back in you know MG Mac on the side of a car again it means quite a lot to me. Like, and yeah, I do like it. But he he seems like he's a um, like a slow developer it took him a while to get up to speed in f2 and then he started to come good the same in his year f3 season before that i believe um and then so this is his time where he's going to start to get the performances to come up and of course magnuson you know he's no spring chicken um he's he's quick he's and he's 28 for, yeah but in formula one terms that's no spring chicken Look at you sitting there with banners. Are like, oh man! You, you, <laughs> like what? Carl, relatively, Carl we're talking relatively there, here. You're sitting there with grey in your your goatee, which is down to your belly button, by the way. Now, and you're calling Magnus an old dude. Wisdom uh, streaks, you mean? There's no greater wisdom and, streaks. And, and can we have a bit of sensitivity? You're saying he's old as a driver at 28. Brad Philpott's right there, and he's like 40 <laughs> now. Brad, I'm not far off actually. <laughs> um, but I think one thing that we we tend to forget is. We rule drivers out if they don't win stuff in their first yes, year. We do. You know, like they don't come boxing, through yeah. Formula Three, Formula Two, straight into Formula One and set the world alight immediately. We think that they're you know they're on the scrap heap. But not all drivers are like that. It is possible to be the kind of driver that just takes slightly longer, but the quality is there in the background. And Mick Schumacher has tended to be a second year driver. That it's been his second year in each series where he's won the championship. And I think he's had a learning year a really tricky year and a really hard car. And if you give him something competitive, uh, you know, when he had a competitive Formula 2 car, he won the championship. I I appreciate all the caveats that it wasn't the strongest season, that kind of thing. But I I think he has the the underlying ability 
to do it. Kevin Magnussen yeah. didn't win Formula 2. I, I believe he won Formula Renault 3.5 or whatever it was called at the time. But I don't think that was any stronger field than the Formula 2 season that Schumacher won. So I, I think it, he might surprise some people. He, he's only been up against Mag, um, uh, Mazepin, but Sorry, for, oh, I mentioned Mazepin. Okay, he's only been he's only been up against a weaker driver, uh, the weakest driver in the field so far. But he pretty much put that one to bed. So uh, I think he'll I think he'll do well. It's okay. We can mention Mazepin. He's not he's not coming back. Poor poor Nikita Mazepin. Go and support him. Go and support him. He set up a fund. He set up a fund for. In fact, let's just let's stop. He very angrily set up a fund. If anybody yeah. watched that video, it, w- it was almost funny watching how much kind of fury he was trying to suppress when he was talking to camera. Um, and But anyway, yeah, I think it was um, poorly judged. Oh, it can't be hard to hear no for the first time. Matt? Well, um, I, I wanted to first throw in the comment from Weezy van Bruggen. Um, Mick Schumacher has shown himself to be a learner. That's what set him apart from Mazepin. And yeah. I think that is absolutely correct. And I think that's why the Magnuson-Schumacher pairing is going to be better yeah, yeah. Than yeah. anybody thinks it is. Oh, maybe. I mean, that's the point you were making, Carl, basically. Yeah, and I think it's, it's well, my second most anticipated teammate battle in in Formula 1 2022. It's going to be fantastic. We finally get to see Schumacher quantify because there's all these doubts. You've yep. got doubts. You just think it's a, he's just a pure nepotism driver? Uh, hang he's on, whoa, whoa, whoa. Purely for, for his name? Ooh. I didn't. He is, he is a nepotism driver. <laughs> what he does with that is is different but, yes yeah. But, but yeah of course he's an nepotism driver people were talking about him when he was like the second he saw a steering wheel like oh, mick schumacher touched a steering wheel <laughs> in a taxi you know so yes it is a nepotism drive but obviously you got to see you know how you do from that platform. yeah and it's great and kevin magazin has a lot of fans and he seems quite well respected but as brad said he hasn't set the world on fire he did yes he put it on a podium in his very first race in 2014 for mclaren his first race for mclaren yeah. then after that we didn't see too much of him he was battling button uh, had a few sort of scruffy races with button but in 2014 i believe button got on top of him didn't he in the end i don't think magazin set the world on fire and then he was against grosjean's pretty evenly matched with grosjean so there's a question mark for both of them, really. I have a feeling McLaren favoured Button. You know, he, he was he was their boy, wasn't he, at that time, and probably with Perez as well, although my bias might be creeping in there. Uh, Matt, last thing on, on Haas. Um, well, I think, um, I, I don't want to get into the thing, but I think, I think he was ill-served by his time at McLaren because there was the infighting structurally going on between the two people who wanted to run the team, Dennis and... Um, cannot remember the financier's name right now. But what I want to say about Haas that's interesting is that if you look at it from a certain perspective, essentially they've gotten Mazepin and Schumacher to pay for this year's car, and now they only have Schumacher Mm. on the team. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, Let's move on to uh, another hot take, and this hot take is from Jose. Uh, So, I mean, your Christian name, Jose might give give away some allegiances here, but he says his hot take is this season Alonso is going to do to Ocon what he did to Van Dorn and uh, Mike Holler. His hot take is Renault engines will be fast and reliable, but the Alpine car will not be able to take advantage of it. Very optimistic, I think, from Mike Holler. The Renault engine is uh, is run on uh, hamsters and hope. No, I mean, certainly at the beginning of 2014, it's definitely improved. But there's probably a reason why only one team on the grid has it. So but let's go with Matt for Jose's comment 
He's right there in our live chat. You can you can tell him what you think, Matt. He thinks Alonso is going to beat Ocon like a gong. Nope. Right. Okay. Uh, it, just, it, it, it ain't going to happen. Ocon is too good. He he may he may beat Ocon. He, he there's a good chance he might even win the qualifying. But in terms of points, it will be close, and Ocon will win his fair share of races. So, I I both drivers are class. And both drivers are top drawer when it comes to Formula One, which how the car suits them. I think the more interesting thing is whether we're going to see, because we saw, we started to see flashes of the old Alonzo at the end of the season mm. a bit. And I think the bigger question is whether or not Alonzo torpedoes this team <laughs> the way he's done every other one he's ever been a part of. Quickly, just want to address the the chat room there. Don't please don't email me saying that Magnussen is also the son of an F one driver. I I understand that, uh, but the difference is obviously that Magnussen has had time in F one and I think shown potential and been a, a proper like pro driver. Um, Schumacher is obviously still the jury's out. He's only had had um, he's only had Mazepin to go against, and I, I think anyone would have beaten Mazepin on the grid. Um, and uh, right, okay, so. Uh, where are we going next? Um, are we staying on Alpine? Any any hot takes on the Alonso situation, Carl? Yeah, to follow up what Matt said, I think apparently um, Alonso has already has already been making some grumbles about the potential Renault engine in the back of that car. So, and we saw him at the end of last season. I know I give him a hard time, like he's a fantastic driver, but we started to see the the snidey comments and the knives going into the team. So if he if it gets to mid season and Alpine haven't been looking great in the tests. And it's not going well. Are we going to start seeing some 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 nasty comments towards the team and some bad bad atmosphere generating in that? Because I think that could well happen. So, to me, the biggest thing here that we've not talked about is Otmar Safnauer being there on the ground, formerly of V Force India, that always scored more points than anyone thought they had any right to. Lately, of the Aston, where he says the church can only have one pope, and that might explain why he's no longer there. I think Otmar could potentially be the person to make this situation work. And I don't want to overlook the fact that Rossi, the CEO of Alpine, comes from a pretty massive engineering background himself. And I feel like the personnel changes he's instituted and his understanding of the issues between uh, Viri and Instone might actually, I, I think we could see a similar Alpine to what we saw last year. I think they could be good at certain circuits. They could be great on the occasional circuit. And if the personalities are properly managed, they do have a very, very, very strong driver pairing where so far each teammate has been willing to make sacrifices to try and help the other teammate <laughs> if they have the advantageous position. Hmm. So in the sense that I think overall, we're going to see peaky performance from all the teams because we have such a new regulation set. I think there's room for Alpine to continue to maintain the place it's been. Hot take. Alpine will never break the top four ever as long as they stay in F1. I don't think, I just, I just think, I just don't, I don't see it. I don't see the will from the parent uh, organization, Carl. I don't see the performance. I don't see them. They, they, they've they tied, they've got to have Renault engines forever. And I don't see that ever being a competitive advantage. 
there's not teams queuing up to get a Renault engine. So I a perpetual midfield team. Well, no, nothing wrong with that yeah. because you know there's there's a fight in the midfield too. Indeed. Well, they had they had their um they had their what well, sound sounds a bit sort of um ex-Soviet. They had their like a five year plan, didn't they, to go and try to um like get to the front. They were going to do as I said on one of our shows a couple of years ago. I said, oh, I've got faith they're going to do it. They're, they're making a lot of noises <laughs> of their you idiot. Um, they're going to do it. They're investing loads into the engine department. They got Daniel Ricciardo as a star driver, and it was supposed to spearhead them going, launching straight back to the top. And it hasn't happened, has it? It's, it's, it's flopped, basically. And I agree with you. I think they're probably going to going to be a journeyman team in the midfield again. They they just seem stuck there. And if that happens, I'm pretty sure we're going to have some high velocity toys coming out of the pram. And Alonso ain't going to stick around long, which is a shame because we'd like to see him in a top car and fighting at the front. But I can't see him in the Twilight's career wanting to stick around. Brad, he's 41. I don't think he's sticking around anyway. Sorry, I was just putting my hand up because I wanted to see if we could move on from the most meh team on the grid because <laughs> Alpine is just so... I was like, we've been talking about the most boring team for ages <laughs> but, now. But, yeah, but, yeah. but Kyle got, mentioned can... Ricardo. Ah, and, okay, got it. Yeah. That kind of spurred me on to think, are we even going to see Ricardo this coming weekend? Because McLaren seemed pretty confident that he was going to be showing as COVID negative by the weekend. In my experience, our household's COVID um, tests were mm. showing positive for a whole lot longer than a week. Um, I don't quite know what the procedure is in Formula One, whether they have different tests. But yeah, I mean, even if he's feeling fully fit by the weekend, that's a bit tight, isn't it? Well, it's not last year and it's not the year before where you know these things were being very closely governed and there was a strong feeling of responsibility from individuals as well to isolate for example for those of you who don't know in the uk there are now no covid rules like none at all even if you test positive for covid you can just go to work you can do whatever and i think the the thinking from the government i'll just say from the government is that the the risk is sort of background and it's enough that we will live with it the way we've lived with um, with other illnesses and and stuff like that so that's that's the uk attitude i'm not endorsing that either way I, I will trust people who know science and stuff kyle but it depends what attitude f1 have and you know a, a mclaren like rigidly gonna stick to that you know it's pretty easy to show a negative test yeah yeah he's good he's fine it is and as much as i like danny rick and it would be a shame for him to miss the first race i kind of wouldn't mind him missing the first race because this has a f- and and we go back to alpine because this opens up the door of they have opened up them releasing Oscar Piastri, their development driver, <laughs> to jump into McLaren to fill it in. Whether McLaren pick that up or not, but that is a fantastically exciting opportunity. So, sorry, Danny Rick, as much as I really, really like you, I really wouldn't mind you missing the first race just so we can get to see Piastri get thrown straight in with no testing or anything into the race seat and see how he gets on. Kyle, I know you didn't mean to say it like that, but Alpine, is, that just sums them up perfectly. <laughs> I'm going to remember that. Alpine. Um, so, okay, look, I know people are, are, are excited about um, Oscar Piastri, but firstly, I'll just say that I, I desperately want Daniel Ricardo, Daniel Ricardo, to be in the, the car. I want him to, he's already missed testing. I want, I'm, I'm backing him. As If you go back, uh, was it last episode? Or the one before that, we talked about which driver we were supporting, not which one we thought we would win. And I've staked my my flag to Daniel Ricciardo in the McLaren battle. The last thing I want him to do is, is miss a race map. Yeah. Um, but it's a distinct possibility because he's going to have to test and be clear. And a lot of people are excited to see a junior driver get a solo shot. Although given McLaren's 
Bahrain test and the fact that they can't go more than 10 laps without their brakes catching on fire, I don't know how much of Oscar we would actually see at the first race. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. That's, uh, that's a good plan. That's a good point. But he, and if he, if he does get his shot, this is why I was not disappointed with K-Man getting into the house, but I thought that was a missed opportunity to get like a really young, hot talent into the sport again. And yes, now you've made your points across. I am happy that K-Man's there because we get to quantify. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why. But I did think it was a shame that we've got Piastri on the sidelines there. It was, a, it was an open seat and I really want to see the young, hot talent in the sport. Yeah, but I really do understand Haas thinking K-Mag was in the last good Haas car there was. He can really benchmark it for them, and that's going to be really important this season. Okay, why have we gone back to Haas, the team that's going to be 10th all season? Wasn't my fault. Why have we done that? Why have we come back to to them? (laughs) Well, look, uh, probably the last team that I I want to zone in on a little bit, I guess, is, uh, is Aston Martin. Probably more politically than anything. The structure there, it looks... It looks like they've they've had to have a little bit of a, a clear out, and you sometimes wonder, Carl, don't you, in these organisations, how they get surrounded with so many yes men, and and I, I, I believe, and I'm guessing, correct me if I'm wrong, if anyone's listening from Aston Martin and wants to be my spy, I'll never tell, I swear. It, it feels like the yes men will, are maybe more likely to 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 survive and do well at Aston Martin. And the only reason I'm saying that, and I'm not accusing everyone at Aston Martin of being a yes man, but it's just because it's such a strong personality at the top driving it. It feels like this will live or die, live or die on Lawrence Stroll's vision, and you'd best get on board with that or sling it. Yeah. Um, Otmar Safnau, who's now gone to Alpine or Alpine, as I'm going to call them now. Thanks, Brad. I didn't realise <laughs> I said that wrong. Um, <laughs> um, so, yeah, he's just he's in his sixth day of that contract with them and said he's enjoying it but he said it was probably better for all parties if he left um if he left aston martin so yeah i think you're right i think um papa stroll is getting getting rid of the people who didn't agree with him and maybe clashed with him and might be surrounding him with surrounding himself with yes men so it's interesting to see where they go um because especially with decent backing behind them they have vettel you know, they've got four-time world champion. They seem pretty serious about it. And if they're, again, just stuck in the midfield and start to slip down. I mean, Force Indians were always like the perennial overachievers yeah, they were, yeah. for me, not always. And if they're not going to start overachieving again, it, it will be pretty obvious and demonstrable that his management tactic has not worked. Okay, and this is this is based completely on us following the narratives in the media. There's no inside source. There's no inside man at Aston Martin that's saying to us, ah, oh, it's horrible here, you know, where we all have our feet to the fire until we agree. So if we've got that wrong, if anyone thinks we've got that wrong, tell us, put us straight, you know, we'll, we'll read your, your response out. Um, uh, but that's just the impression that's been, that has been, been given off. But maybe we're guilty of falling for some media narratives. Matt, last thing I think on Aston, and then we look at, um, I guess we look at a, a race. We've got a race to preview. Yeah. Quickly. So the only thing I wanted to say about Aston is in my reading on the bouncy bouncies. <laughs> okay. Is that Aston is one of the teams that feels like they understand very clearly what's going on. And they also understand the compromise about solving the problem. So if I was a fan of a certain four times world champion, and or a Canadian son of a billionaire, I might be thinking that Aston for the race, not for qualifying necessarily, but for the race, might be looking towards some 
early successes. Um, and and that's all I have to say is 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 they seem like they feel confident they're yeah. on top of the okay. issue. That's going to yield the lap times they want. And, and this is the thing as well. We might see this year more than ever teams doing well early on or overperforming early on and that performance you know disappearing because everyone's going to have to make that compromise and, and some teams might compromise towards okay let's just have a bit of a short term let's sort the porpoising out uh, let, let's uh, let's be there let's be steady and then other teams fall away and they, they pick up results so what i would urge anyone is to not get too excited after the first race because the first race isn't always representative but kyle Bahrain is way more representative than the Australian Grand Prix. I'm not saying better or worse. It's better. But it's, you will have more of a clue of, of how the cars will perform here than we, we, we would at a, a Melbourne Grand Prix. Yep, I agree. Well, it's not a street circuit, essentially, for one. And also, um, yeah, you have more variety of corners. Like, get at, get at Melbourne, it's a good event. And, yeah, of course, like, 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 we love our Aussie fans and we don't want to dish your... Home no, 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 or anything, yeah. but it, but it, but it never really throws up good races. It never really has done, um, and it probably never will. Although this year they have made some changes on it to make yeah. it fast and sweepy, but I can't see how that's going to improve racing. To be honest, but yeah, I, yeah. I agree. But Bahrain, for some reason, for whatever, especially in the turbo hybrid era, that first section just yields fantastic racing and dramatic races, particularly when it's been under the lights in the turbo hybrid era. This one of the rare tracks where all of the right ingredients for racing actually pans out and happens in reality. Whereas you've got tracks like Abu Dhabi, which they did at the start and they were like, that's all the ingredients for overtaking is what we want. And it never really worked. Yeah. Bahrain works. Bahrain yeah. does and it works. So yeah, um, I wish it would stay. Is it going to stay as the first race of the season? Cause I think it, you know, last year it gave us a fantastic first race of the season. Um, so just again, Aussie, my only objection to the Australian Grand Prix is that it was the, the opener. And that was that was it. That was the only because you have this big build up, and then generally, you know, you get an Australian type race. And I think there's a place Ooh. for Australian type races. There's a place for the races that don't necessarily kick off, except Monaco. Um, but as a season opener, I think yeah, the Bahrain track works well. And Matt, I can see you uh, pointing out that I'm ignoring reliability in the in the live chat. But yes, of course. It might not be representative also from a reliability point of view or the compromises teams are making between performance and poor poising. So, yes, but I'm just saying the track itself will play its role better than Melbourne. Uh, Well, yeah, it's interesting because I agree with you. It's good for the racing. But what's interesting is the drivers seem to think it was kind of terrible for the testing. So it's sort of a it's sort of a and that makes sense if you think about it, because uh, Perez in fact, himself said, it's hard to drive consistently. Lap times increase or decrease by seconds within an hour based yeah, on the true, temperature, true. based yeah. on the wind. And Signs agreed with him because the asphalt isn't as grippy as it is in Barcelona. Also, Barcelona was sort of nice and cold so that my McLaren's brakes didn't catch on fire. And we didn't find out about that till later. But uh, I do believe they have a fix in place, but they don't have the parts yet, which is going to be a role. What I love about Bahrain, and what I love about this first race is everyone's going to bet on how low they can run that rear ride height. And if you're slightly too low, your car is going to break and you won't finish the race. If you're slightly too high, you're going to be beaten by someone who is closer. And I can't wait to see who gets it right. Mm, and uh, and we'll start seeing cars on track on Friday. This, I'm, I am excited. This is We're properly close to the beginning of the Formula One season. Please do tell your friends 
that they can come and enjoy our race review on the night of the race. So 8pm on Sunday, we will click record and uh, and we'll do our race review so you can have a pretty, uh, pretty instant, in podcasting terms, reaction to the race. Um, so join us here, 8pm. Tell your friends that all the information they need to, to get on board the Mist Apex train is to go to mistapex.net. Carl, were you trying to get in there? No, I was just going to... I was just going to say that try not to drink too much during a race. That's what I'm trying not to do. And I definitely will be because I'm not on the podcast. Anymore. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> uh, and on on the point of um, Matt saying running lower on the Australian Grand Prix, it's ironic actually, because now he's made that point that actually Australia may have been an even fa- a fascinating first Grand Prix for this season because it's a bumpier street circuit. So we would have oh, had yeah. the situation yeah. that he's just described. Um exaggerate and amplified so we would have had even more mix but yeah i cannot wait for the i cannot wait for the grand prix and i'm looking forward to listening to the show at 8pm and uh, follow kyle at kyle power f1 kyle who's going to win the bahrain grand prix i'm going to say verstappen first and perez the two ferraris and two mercedes squabbling for the final podium positions oh okay i'm going to go slightly i'm going to go slightly differently surprise Perez victory as he likes the uh, the the fact that his uh, his understeery style that he likes and the fact that the tires need a, a little bit more looking after surprise the field. So uh, not my completely unbiased opinion. Perez P one for for Bahrain. Uh, Brad Philpot is uh, at Brad Philpot on or is it Bradley on Twitter? I forget which way round. Yeah, it's the name is Brad Philpot, but the actual account is at Bradley. Philpott. At Brad. Which one did you think was young and trendy? Brad, uh, and I would have changed yeah. it, but someone else, someone else, someone else and trendier already has it. So yes, yeah, at Bradley Philpott. Well, I think um, you're, Bradley's more age appropriate now. Yeah, it so. is, unfortunately. So, um, it's Carlos Sainz is the answer to your question you're about to ask Ooh, me. Carlos really? Sainz is going to win for Ferrari. Oh, okay. That'll be, I, I don't put it past Ferrari to just win, just to spite me. So I have to put up with um, two or three months of everybody going, see, see Ferrari were brilliant this year before they then get outdeveloped over the course of the season. Uh, Matt, you've not given us your Bahrain prediction yet. You can follow Matt at MattPT55 on Twitter and Matt2Rumpets on Facebook. Who's going to win the Bahrain Grand Prix, Matt? Well, I believe it's very likely that we will see Verstappen on pole. Based on the comment that Marco said about the correlation between track and wind tunnel being even better than they'd hoped, which is either ominous or fantastic, depending upon whether you support them or not. But I'm going to go with a certain senior Carlos Sainz in the Ferrari, whose car will not break halfway through the race, edging it out from Leclerc because he will make fewer mistakes. All right. There's your predictions. They've uh, staked their flags in the ground. Come and join us at 8 p.m. next Sunday. Uh, or you can just catch the show on your podcatcher. Search for Missed Apex on any podcast app. And do consider joining us at patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. The link is right there in the show notes below. The patron support is the only reason we are able to continue doing what we're doing. I hope you're looking forward to a great 2022 F1 season. And I hope you'll spend it with us. Until next time, work hard, be kind, and have fun. This was Missed Apex.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.